Section two of France at War on the Frontier of Civilization by Rudyard Kipling. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tim Bulkley of stories.org.nz Section two The Nation's Spirit and a New Inheritance. We left that stricken but undefeated town dodged a few miles down the roads beside which the women tended their cows and dropped into a place on a hill where a moroccan regiment of many experiences was in billets they were mohammedans bafflingly like half a dozen of our indian frontier types though they spoke no accessible tongue they had of course turned the farm buildings where they lay into a little bit of africa in colour and smell they had been gassed in the north, shot over and shot down, and set up to be shelled again, and their officers talked of North African wars that we had never heard of, sultry days against long odds in the desert years ago. Afterward, is it not so with you also? We get our best recruits from the tribes we have fought. These men are children. They make no trouble. They only want to go where cartridges are burnt they are of the few races to whom fighting is a pleasure and how long have you dealt with them a long time a long time i helped to organize the corps i am one of those whose heart is in africa he spoke slowly almost feeling for his french words to give some order i shall not forget his eyes as he turned to a huge brown afridi like mussulman hunkering down beside his accoutrements he had two sides to his head that bearded, burned, slow-spoken officer, met and parted with in an hour. The day closed after an amazing interlude in the chateau of a dream, which was all glassy ponds, stately trees, and vistas of white and gold saloons. The proprietor was somebody's chauffeur at the front, and we drank to his excellent health. At a little village, in the twilight, full of the petrol of many cars, the wholesome flavour of healthy troops. There is no better guide to camp than one's own thoughtful nose, and though I poked mine everywhere, in no place then or later did it strike that vile betraying taint of underfed, unclean men. And the same with the horses. The line that never sleeps. It is difficult to keep an edge after hours of fresh air and experiences so one does not get the most from the most interesting part of the day the dinner with the local headquarters here the professionals meet the line the gunners the intelligence with stupefying photo plans of the enemy's trenches the supply the staff who collect and note all things and are very properly chafed and to be sure the interpreter who by force of questioning prisoners naturally develops into a sadducee it is the little asides to each other, the slang and the half-words, which, if one understood, instead of blinking drowsily at one's plate, would give the day's history in a little. But Tyre and the difficulties of a sister, not a foreign tongue, cloud everything, and one goes to billets amid a murmur of voices, the rush of single cars through the night, the passage of battalions, and behind it all the echo of the deep voices calling to one another along the line that never sleeps. The ridge with the scattered pines might have hidden children at play, 
certainly a horse would have been quite visible but there was no hint of guns except a semaphore which announced it was forbidden to pass that way as the battery was firing the Bosch must have looked for that battery too the ground was pitted with shell holes of all calibres some of them as fresh as mole casts in the misty damp morning others where the poppies had grown from seed to flower all through the summer where are the guns i demanded at last they were almost under one's hand the ammunition in cellars and dugouts beside them as far as one can make out the seventy-five gun has no pet name the bayonet is rosalie the virgin of bayonne but the seventy-five the watchful nurse of the trenches and little sister of the line seems to be always soixante-quinze even those who love her best do not insist that she is beautiful her merits are french logic directness simplicity and the supreme gift of occasionality she is equal to everything on the spur of the moment one sees and studies the few appliances which make her do what she does and one feels that anyone could have invented her famous french seventy-fives as a matter of fact says the commandant anybody or rather everybody did the general idea is after such and such system the patent of which had expired and we improved it the breach action with slight modification is somebody else's the sighting is perhaps a little special and so is the traversing but at bottom it is only an assembly of variations and arrangements that of course is all shakespeare ever got out of the alphabet the french artillery make their own guns as he made his plays it's just as simple as that there is nothing going on for the moment it's too misty said the commandant i fancy that the bosch being as a rule methodical amateurs are introduced to batteries in the bosch's intervals at least there are hours healthy and unhealthy which vary with each position but as the commandant reflected a moment there is a place and a distance let us say he gave a range the gun servers stood back with the bored contempt of the professional for the layman who intrudes on his mysteries other civilians had come that way before had seen and grinned and complimented and gone their way leaving the gunners high up on the bleak hillside to grill or mildew or freeze for weeks and months then she spoke her voice was higher pitched it seemed than ours with a more shrewish tang to the speeding shell her recoil was as swift and as graceful as the shrug of a frenchwoman's shoulders the empty case leaped forth and clanged against the trail the tops of two or three pines fifty yards away nodded knowingly to each other though there was no wind they'll be bothered down below to know the meaning of our single shot we don't give them one dose at a time as a rule somebody laughed we waited in the fragrant silence nothing came back from the mist that clogged the lower grounds though no shell of this war was ever launched with more earnest prayers that it might do hurt then they talked about the lives of guns what number of rounds some will stand and others will not how soon one can make two good guns out of three spoiled ones and what crazy luck sometimes goes with a single shot or a blind salvo 
Lesson from the Bosch A shell must fall somewhere, and, by the law of averages, occasionally light straight as a homing pigeon on the one spot where it can wreck most. Then the earth opens for yards around, and men must be dug out, some merely breathless who shake their ears, swear, and carry on, others whose souls have gone loose among terrors. These have to be dealt with as their psychology demands, and the French officer is a good psychologist. One of them said, Our national psychology has changed. I do not recognize it myself. What made the change? The Bosch, if he had been quiet for another twenty years, the world must have been his. Rotten. But all his. Now he is saving the world. How? Because he has shown us what evil is. We, you and I, England and the rest, had begun to doubt the existence of evil. The Bosch is saving us. Then we had another look at the animal in its trench, a little nearer this time than before, and quieter on account of the mist. Pick up the chain any way you please, you shall find the same observation post, table, map, observer, and telephonist, the same always hidden, always ready guns, and the same vexed foreshore of trenches, smoking and shaking, from Switzerland to the sea. The handling of the war varies with the nature of the country, but the tools are unaltered. One looks upon them at last with the same weariness of wonder as the eye receives from endless repetitions of Egyptian hieroglyphics. A long, low profile, with a lump to one side, means the field gun and its attendant ammunition case. A circle and slot stand for an observation post. The trench is a bent line, studded with vertical plumes of explosion. The great guns of position coming and going on their motors repeat themselves as scarabs. And man himself is a small blue smudge, no larger than a foresight, crawling and creeping or watching and running among all these terrific symbols. Tragedy of Reims There is no hieroglyphic for Reims, no blunting of the mind at the abominations committed on the cathedral there. The thing peers upwards, maimed and blinded, from out of the utter wreckage of the archbishop's palace on the one side, and dust heaps of crumbled houses on the other. They shelled, they still shell it, with high explosives and with incendiary shells, so that the statues and the stonework in places are burned the colour of raw flesh. Gargoyles are smashed, statues, crockets and spires tumbled, walls split and torn, windows thrust out and tracery obliterated. Wherever one looks at the tortured pile, there is mutilation and defilement. And yet, it had never more of a soul than it has to-day. Inside. Cover yourselves, gentlemen, said the sacristan. This place is no longer consecrated. Everything is swept clear or burnt out from end to end except two candlesticks in front of the niche where Joan of Arc's image used to stand. There is a French flag there now, and the last time I saw Reims Cathedral was in a spring twilight, when the great west window glowed, and the only lights within were those of candles which some penitent English had lit in Joan's honour on those same candlesticks. The high altar was covered with floor carpets, 
pavement tiles were cracked and jarred out by the rubbish that had fallen from above the floor was gritty with dust of glass and powdered stone little twists of leading from the windows and iron fragments two great doors had been blown inwards by the blast of a shell in the archbishop's garden till they had bent grotesquely to the curve of a cask there they had jammed the windows but the record has been made and will be kept by better hands than mine it will last through the generation in which the Teuton is cut off from the fellowship of mankind all the long still years when this war of the body is at an end and the real war begins Reims is but one of the altars which the heathen have put up to commemorate their own death throughout all the world it will serve there is a mark well known by now which they have left for a visible seal of their doom when they first set the place alight some hundreds of their wounded were being tended in the cathedral the french saved as many as they could but some had to be left among them was a major who lay with his back against a pillar it has been ordained that the signs of his torments should remain an outline of both legs and half a body printed in greasy black upon the stones there are very many people who hope and pray that the sign will be respected at least by our children's children iron nerve and faith and in the meantime reims goes about what business it may have with that iron nerve and endurance and faith which is the new inheritance of france there is agony enough when the big shells come in there is pain and terror among the people and always fresh desecration to watch and suffer the old men and the women and the children drink of that cup daily and yet the bitterness does not enter into their souls mere words of admiration are impertinent but the exquisite quality of the french soul has been the marvel to me throughout they say themselves when they talk we did not know what our nation was frankly we did not expect it ourselves but the thing came and you see we go on or as a woman put it more logically what else can we do remember we knew the Bosch in seventy when you did not we know what he has done in the last year this is not war it is against wild beasts that we fight there is no arrangement possible with wild beasts this is the one vital point which we in england must realize we are dealing with animals who have scientifically and philosophically removed themselves inconceivably outside civilization when you have heard a few only a few tales of their doings you begin to understand a little when you have seen reims you understand a little more when you have looked long enough at the faces of the women you are inclined to think that the women will have a large say in the final judgment they have earned it a thousand times end of section 2 recording by tim bulkley of stories.org.nz